I'm Bernie Sanders. I'm Hillary Clinton. I'm Donald Trump, and I approve this message. Turn on your TV in America these days, and you're bound to hear presidential candidates pleading, quoting, mocking, preaching, shooting animals. Ted Cruz is my man. He's godly. He loves us. He's the man for the job, and he will go duck hunting. These ads are all over the map. They try to educate. It's called a rigged economy. And this is how it works. They try to villainize. Trump refuses to denounce the KKK. They make promises. He'll quickly cut the head off ISIS and take their oil. And he'll stop illegal immigration by building a wall on our southern border that Mexico will pay for. And really, like every other form of advertising, this is all about getting in our heads. I'm listening to you. I'm fighting for you. Join us for real change. We will make America Again. This is Special Relationship. I'm John Prado from The Economist. And I'm Celeste Katz from Mike. Today, we're talking about the ad wars. Election season means everyone's trying to win your heart and get your vote. And there are a million ways to do it. Before, you had TV, radio, and good old snail mail. Now we also have Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, Snapchat, Instagram, text messages, bots... So if you want to win, you have to come up with the magic formula, some perfect combination of all of these things. I just always have believed that you need to hit the gut as well as the head. That's Jimmy Siegel. He's a veteran strategist who's created ads and campaigns for President Obama, Hillary Clinton, and many other politicians. Well, an effective ad is you see that people are talking about it. It gets picked up by the papers. It gets picked up by the blogs. Uh, uh, gets picked up on the net, um, and you win. (laughs) So that's how you measure it. But in spite of all the new ways to court voters, candidates still spend a vast amount of money on television commercials. The Wesleyan Media Project just reported that the volume of advertising is up 122% over where it was at this point in the 2012 cycle, which itself saw record spending, just over $7 billion. Wesleyan estimates that about 480,000 TV commercial spots have already been bought in the 2016 cycle to the tune of $408 million. But as it turns out, the top three Republicans who were supposed to benefit the most from all these commercials, Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio and Jeb Bush, were all crushed under the Trump train. And Trump, as he loves to remind people, took a pretty good beating on the airwaves himself. Bimbo, dog, fat pig, this is how Donald Trump talks about our mothers, our sisters, our daughters. Hola, Donald Trump! Screaming, get out of my country! Republicans use offensive words. So here's a few of our own. F*** you, racist f***. Despite all that, Donald Trump is now the presumptive Republican nominee. So what is the point of all this advertising? Why do America's political parties keep spending so much money on TV commercials that don't appear to work? Joining us now is Daryl West. He's vice president and director of governance studies at the Brookings Institution in Washington, and he's an expert on political mass media. Professor West, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Nice to be with you. So you've done a lot of research on TV ads and politics. Do you think they're as effective as they were in the past? 
Well, certainly 2016 has been a crazy year from the standpoint of advertising. On the Republican side, uh, Donald Trump was the object of about $70 million of attack ads, none of which worked. Uh, Bush put a lot of effort into trying to defeat him to no avail. There were super PACs that uh, spent millions uh, trying to derail his candidacy, and none of it worked. Uh, Trump has, uh, I think, 8 million Twitter followers and was able to use social media and hundreds of millions of dollars of free TV time to defeat his opponents. So if these ads aren't really working the way they used to, is that only because there are so many other outlets, or is it because the ads aren't as good as they used to be, or, or why is this happening? The problem is people are getting their news from very different sources. I mean, in the good old days, 10 and 20 years ago, people watched television, and so candidates could place their ads around uh, major news shows and would be guaranteed that a lot of people would uh, see them. Uh, young people aren't watching television news uh, anymore, and even older people are not watching television uh, to the same extent. People are getting their information from the Internet. It's just a more diverse media landscape than what we've seen before. TV ads are still part of that mix, but they're only one part and perhaps no longer the dominant part. If you talk to political scientists, most of them will say that TV adverts only confer a small advantage to the candidate who buys them and that that advantage disappears quite quickly. And they're so sure about this, it's got a name, the minimal effects hypothesis. So who do you think is right? Do you think the political scientists are right or do you think the campaign managers who buy all these adverts are right? I think... Political scientists are right in basically looking at how 90% of the electorate makes up its mind, which is basically, you know, the big factors of the state of the economy, questions of war and peace, do you like or dislike a particular individual, and how the campaign is going, you know, just the nature of the times, like, are things headed in the right direction, or do things seem off on the wrong course? But then the problem is, Elections come down to that last-minute deciding vote. You often have 10 to 15 percent of the electorate in the closing weeks of an election that still has not made up its mind. With those individuals, ads, social media, what happens in debates are all the things that seem to matter a lot. So uh, that's the reason why I am interested in studying advertising. That you know, that's a crucial uh, part of how. Uh, the the people who ultimately decide American elections make up their minds. Okay, so as a scientist, I wanted to ask you about this experiment that's going on right now. Um, UCLA and Vanderbilt have this new project called Spot Check, and what they're trying to do is actually quantify, you know, set a, a numeric value to how good these political ads are. So is this something that you can really get down to a science, do you think? Or is there is there some sort of other it factor that you can't really quantify? It is hard to get ad impact down to a science, but I do believe uh, this is a very interesting experiment uh, that is going to help us figure out which ads are influential because uh, what they're doing in SpotCheck is they have a representative national sample of 1,000 uh, people, and they are... Uh, basically showing uh, these individuals uh, two ads at a time, uh, you know, every week or every other uh, week, uh, and and asking them a series of questions and trying to determine how those specific ads are influencing their views about the candidates. So, you know, the way we often do it is uh, uh, is 
based on guesswork. Like an expert will watch an ad and I may say, oh, that's a really good ad. I think that's going to be effective. But, you know, it's my view. Uh, the, the virtue of spot check is they're asking a thousand Americans for their views. And that's a better way to gauge ad impact. And as far as, you know, the the I don't know how many political ads that you've watched in your life, but I'm, be- I'm betting it's a lot. Way, way too many. <laughs> Is there anything that, that really stands out for you, either in this cycle or maybe in a past cycle? I think if you want uh, a good... Uh, lesson in terms of what the 2016 general election is going to look like, you need to go back to the 1964 presidential campaign between Lyndon Johnson and Barry Goldwater. And what uh, Johnson did, it was really the first example of TV advertising turning negative in a systematic way. Johnson basically tried to take Goldwater out by persuading uh, people that uh, Goldwater was uh, too conservative, his views were outside the mainstream, and he was a risky and dangerous individual in the nuclear era. And the most famous ad they ran was the so-called Daisy ad, where they basically showed this little girl in a meadow uh, picking petals off of a daisy. And then the background, you had the countdown of 10, 9, 8, uh, and so on. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4. And at the end, there was this nuclear explosion, and we see the mushroom cloud engulfing the girl. And the message of the ad was, don't trust Goldwater. He's too risky for this nuclear era. We must either love each other or we must die. You can already see Hillary Clinton starting to do this to Donald Trump. She's using words like risky, he's a loose cannon, he can't be uh, trusted. And so I think the 64 campaign uh, is the lesson book that uh, Clinton is going to uh, follow against Trump. The Daisy advert you mentioned is a classic negative advert in today's terms. Is there any evidence to show that negative adverts, the types that play on our fears rather than appeal to our better natures are more effective than positive ones? Negative ads are very effective because people remember negative information longer than they do positive information. If you're playing to people's uh, fears, uh, their concerns, their anxieties, their anger, uh, those are very powerful emotions and they often outweigh positive feelings that people had. So both Trump and Clinton already are going negative uh, on uh, their opponent. Uh, Their idea is that since each of them are widely disliked by a majority of Americans, that there's really nothing they can do to create a positive feeling about themselves. But their goal is to increase the negatives of their opponent so that they are seen less negatively than the opposition. Um, we talked about all the negative advertising that that uh, Trump has had aimed at him, and a lot of it just doesn't seem to matter. I mean, the people who who were spending all this money are now, you know, in the in, in the dustbin of electoral history. Have you ever seen a candidate that seemed so impervious to negative advertising? And should I mean, does Hillary Clinton have a problem? I mean, so far, Trump has been the Teflon candidate, so there have been millions of dollars of negative ads aimed at him, none of which derailed his candidacy. There's been op-eds and columns written criticizing him. You know, people say he's a fascist. They compare him to uh, Mussolini uh, and or Hitler. 
Uh, none of that stuff uh, was effective uh, during the Republican process. But it doesn't mean that <clears throat> that's going to continue to be the case uh, during the general election. Uh, we've already seen Hillary Clinton uh, run ads featuring women talking about all of the misogynist uh, comments that Trump has made about uh, them. Uh, there's a Senate candidate in Arkansas who's already running an ad against his opponent trying to link him to Donald Trump, and he quotes Trump as uh, commenting about a woman's cosmetic surgery and saying, you know, that boob job is terrible. So, you know, you're going to see things like that used against uh, Trump. Uh, we're going to probably see one of the largest gender gaps uh, that we've ever seen. So I think the Teflon is going to run thin uh, for uh, Mr. Trump as we head into uh, the general election. It's a much bigger electorate. Democrats are going to have a much more systematic attack on him in terms of his comments about women, his uh, comments about uh, minorities, his policy uh, positions, his uh, business uh, background, uh, his uh, dealings through Trump University. So all of this is going to be a much more systematic effort to uh, bring him down. Daryl West of the Brookings Institution, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. If you follow American politics really closely, it's easy to forget quite how unusual this barrage of electoral spending is. In Britain in 2015, the whole of the parliament in Westminster was elected, and that cost around $60 million, which actually people were pretty upset about at the time because that was record spending. For some kind of comparison, the North Carolina Senate race alone in 2014 cost around $100 million. With us to talk about how electoral campaigns, advertising, spending works elsewhere is my colleague Matt Steinglass. Matt's the Europe editor of The Economist. Matt, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So how does this work on your patch? In most European countries, there are some kind of limits on uh, what you can do on the on the airways before before an election. There are also usually guaranteed funding for different political parties that come from the central government, um, and that usually comes to a few million dollars uh, per party per election. Um, the both the airtime and the money that you get is usually allocated based on how well you did in the last election, which is a bit unfair and kind of serves to entrench the uh, powers that be in the status quo, to use the Bernie Sanders style uh, way of talking about that. So tell us, what does this look like in Europe? Um, so in... Uh, for example, in Spain, uh, you typically get one big political advertisement per uh, candidate per election. Actually, in Germany, that's close to a rule. Basically, in the major political elections, every party gets one ad. And that ad is about a minute and a half long, usually. It uh, only runs a, a, for a few weeks because there are also blocks of time that the public broadcasters allocate to the parties to, uh, to run their ads. Um, theoretically, they could buy extra time and run them, run those ads on private networks as well. But usually the public advertisement space that they get for free is, is enough and they don't tend to do anything so crass as to actually go out and spend money on a private, private broadcasting of, of political advertisements. So a lot of people here get information about the campaigns from the ads and from obviously from social media and from news coverage and so on. Um, do ads just not play that big of a part in European elections? Are they just not that crucial a part of how people make up their minds? I think if you factor in the shortness of the campaign, the ads are probably just as significant or almost as significant. Um, 
I think it also really depends. It goes from country to country. So in some countries, they aren't as accustomed to the kind of media environment that the U.S. has. So in the Netherlands, for example, it didn't used to be a thing to put your family uh, in a campaign advertisement. Uh, it simply wasn't done to either to run uh, your political campaign based on your family background or to put them in your TV ad- ad- advertisements. Um, that taboo started to drop in 2012. Uh, The Labour candidate did an ad focused on his home life. Uh, He has a handicapped daughter, and he used that as a way of testifying to people that he's really committed to to social issues. Uh, other, Other candidates couldn't keep up essentially. He did a reasonably reasonable job of it. The Christian Democratic candidate decided, oh, everyone is doing family-based ads now, so I'll do the same thing. He then produced an ad which showed himself at home, but apparently his wife and family didn't agree to appear. So he just did an ad in which he stood around in his house, sort of making coffee and riding his bicycle. And it, the general consensus was that he looked like he was recently divorced, and this didn't really come across that well. Yeah, I could see how that might, uh, that might be a problem. We shouldn't let any discussion of political advertising go without mentioning my favourite campaign ad, uh, American or European of all time, which is Silvio Berlusconi's one from 2006, which doesn't feature the Italian Prime Minister, but has a lot of singing voters. It begins in an ice cream parlour, they sing about freedom, you know, their hopes for the country, and the chorus is, at least we've got Silvio in Italian. It's magnificent. How do you say, how do you say uh, at least you've got Silvio in Italian? Meno male che Silvio c'è. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, my God. My, my life is complete now. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious to know, uh, do Europeans look at the, quote unquote, the American way with all this money being spent on all these ads as kind of tacky and overdone? Or do you think that will become more of the norm in European campaigns? The short answer is tacky and overdone. I I think uh, European society maintains a sense that that there should be a divide between money and politics and that massive advertising campaigns, especially on TV, are uh, corrupting of the the body politic. Um, The argument in America is always that more campaign spending is a good thing because it helps to educate a public which otherwise would be too distracted to pay any attention to politics. And I don't think Europeans would be receptive to that argument. And then if you look at the statistics, Europeans vote at a higher rate than Americans do. So I'm not sure that that argument really uh, holds water uh, if, you, if you try to do a comparison uh, between the two ecosystems of, of political advertising. Matt Steinglass, thank you very much. Thanks. It was fun. That's it for this week. Join us in another two weeks on Mike.com, Economist.com, or wherever you get your podcasts for another episode of Special Relationship. I'm at John Prudo on Twitter. Celeste is at Celeste Katz NYC. But you can also leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. We read those too. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Celeste Katz for Mike. I'm John Prudo at The Economist. And, and we, we approve, approve this message. message. See you in two weeks. Oh,